You know, it's a moment in time that changed everything. It's a week that transformed all mankind. See, before we can get to next week where we celebrate the power of an almighty God to conquer death, you have to get Him through the cross. It's not a pleasant picture to see. We call this Palm Sunday because most of the time, even in, in, in Christian circles, we don't really want to focus on the, the brutality of the cross. So we start with the coats and the palm fronds and the, the, welcome of, uh, uh, the kingly welcome that they welcomed Jesus in. Because what we really have to do is then we go from there all the way to the resurrection and we very rarely stop at the cross. But today we're going to talk about things we can relate to. See, because relating to God was so difficult when we were trying to relate to God the Father. Because you almost have an impossibility of trying to relate to God the Father being omniscient. That means all-knowing. Omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. Omnipotent, all-powerful. See, none of us possess any of those qualities. So it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around God the Father. But when Jesus, when God took on flesh and became a man, 100% man and 100% God, now we can, the Bible literally declares He was tempted in all manners and fashions in which we are tempted and yet without sin. So now we have a God that put on skin and now we can relate. And we can relate to a lot of things that happened on this last week. See, a lot of times we want to start with Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. But you know that Holy Week didn't start there? It started on a mountain. Outside of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, you picture as Scripture starts to unfold, it's the second time, the only two places in the entire Bible where it says that Jesus cried. It starts with a tear. The first time that he cried, it was over the death of a friend. His friend Lazarus had been, had been sick. He had tarried about four days. He finally got there. He knew he was going to resurrect him. But when he got into town and saw the devastation of grief and sorrow that touched the family's life, and, and truly he was a friend of the family, and he felt so moved by compassion and sympathy that he began to weep. Listen to how John relates it in John chapter 11, verses 34 through 36. And he said, And when, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the shortest scripture in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So that Jews said, see how he loved him. Even though he knew he was going to resurrect him, the impact of the, of, of the trauma to the family moved him to tears. The only other time that you find Jesus crying was the start of Holy Week. He's on a mountain and he looks over into Jerusalem and he sees what they missed. Listen to how he quotes it in Luke chapter 19. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that things, the, the, the things that make for peace, but now you are hid, they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time 
time of your visitation. He is saying to, he is weeping over the city of Jerusalem with such passion because there was never a city in all mankind where they were more prepared to receive with the knowledge of knowing about the Messiah. They had all the clues, all the prophecies, they had all the opportunities. They had been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. This city had literally prepared for thousands of years and missed him because they were blinded by their self righteousness. See, we can relate to that. One, we can relate because probably everybody in this room can relate to crying. We can relate to the the challenge of grief and sorrow. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have lost either a family member or a friend to the tragedy of death. And it hurts. See, we can relate to that. But we can even relate to missed opportunities. You know, whether they were ours or if you're a parent, say amen. You know how many times we've sorrowed as parents over missed opportunities for our children? You know, those moments where we just missed it. Whether it was us or somebody we love. Can you imagine? I I remember growing up in Panama City and there used to be this long stretch in between where I worked. I worked at a golf course out in the middle of the woods and there was this old road called Old Bicycle Road and it was a dirt road with a little bitty bridge and, and it went for about eight miles and there wasn't anything out there but trees. Now there's a whole city out there. Can you imagine if I'd have bought that dirt Missed opportunities. See, we can relate to that. But then you have Jesus coming down that mountain after wiping away the tears of the missed opportunity of the city of Jerusalem and the people that had been looking for him for so long that had missed the moment where he stood among them and now he's coming in for the very last time and finally they get it. Finally for this, we get a rare glimpse of, of what they should have been doing all along. Can you imagine what he would have been able to do if they had worshipped him the way they were going to do at this moment? They hear that he's coming, they start to, he's riding on a donkey and that's a miracle in itself about how he tells his his disciples uh, to go get this donkey. And did you realize he was doing that to fulfill prophecy? Listen to what Matthew says. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the, of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Can you imagine thousands of people? Now we don't have a thousand people here this morning, but we got a pretty good number. I want you to understand the impact of what happened. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And when I count to three, I want you to say as loud as you want to. If you've ever one of those people that wanted to yell in church, now's your time. When I count to three, we're going to say Hosanna. Now, I'm going to warn you. I did this at Tamiami Village, and they about shouted me down. So I'm I'm expecting a lot of noise here. I don't want to go back to Tamiami Village and say, you know what, y'all won. You got the noise record. So here we go. One, two, three. Hosanna! Yeah. Can you imagine that going on for an hour? With thousands of people? Being so moved that... And and this is the incredible thing about Jesus. For the first time, they're welcoming Him as a king. 
his rightful due. He should have been riding on a white horse. That's kind of the standard transportation for a king. But he's not riding a white horse because he's humble to the fact that he's on mission, not here for the cheers of the crowd, but he's here for a purpose of redeeming all mankind. It did not stop at the worship and the coats and the palm trees. It would, it would come to fruition when his blood was spilt on a cross. Can somebody say amen? But here they are for the first time. Do you realize him riding on that donkey was the fulfillment of prophecy? Matthew said this, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by a prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Can you imagine this moment? Because you say, Pastor, you're going to have a hard time with this message because I've never been welcomed like a king. And I can't relate to that. You're right. But you can relate to what happens next. Remember the sound of what we just heard in this moment of time where we all unified together, had a plan, got to three, and we all shouted out, Hosanna. Let's do that one more time because it's gonna, I need it for the impact. You ready? One, two, three. Hosanna! Yeah, as loud as you just shouted, the same people that shouted Hosanna when he come into Jerusalem shouted to crucify him on Thursday. Now that's something we can relate to. You ever had somebody talk about you and they th thought you, they were telling you to your face you were the best thing since sliced bread, but when they got away from you, they, said, they told another story? Yeah, we can relate to that. We can relate to, you know, one moment you're popular, the next moment you're not. Can you imagine... And it goes from the shouts of Hosanna and before the cries of crucify, there's a couple of moments. One, he has some dinner. Now we can relate to that. Most of us have had dinner with friends. Can you say amen? amen. Yeah, this was different though. See, he prepared a room. And in that room was a table, much like the one that you will sit at if you go through the walkthrough experience on Good Friday and Saturday. One of the stations is you're going to sit at what, was, what we want to make look like the Last Supper and you're going to take communion with a group of friends. See, but there was something about this moment that he gets them together and the first thing he's going to do is teach a leadership lesson and, and, and it's hours before he's going to suffer the, the brutality of this death and he's going to do something so unique. Sometimes it even, even puzzles me. I can't imagine being in that room. He's about to tell me. He is about to take bread and break it and say, Hey, to you, my friend, the closest associate that I got here on earth, this is going to be my body. They're going to break it for you. And then he's going to pick up a cup and pour wine into a cup and he's going to say, Hey, not only am I going to be willing for them to break my body for your wholeness, but I'm willing for them to spill my blood for your redemption. Now we're going to get back to that blood in a minute. But before he does this, now you got to think that the impact of that conversation. I'm about to go through a brutal death and I, they're going to literally break my body and spill my blood. And before he does anything, he picks up a towel and he washes all of their feet. Even the one that was going to sell him. The one that would deny him. And all 12 sets of feet before the morning would run in fear and abandon him. And he washed them all. 
See, that's called servant leadership. It's leading by example. Most people don't want to do that. They would rather lead by title because it's the easiest, but it's the less, it's the less potent. When you're always telling somebody who you are or, what, or your authority over them, you're really not in charge because when you get out of their sight, they do whatever they want because you keep feeling the need to go back and tell them you're in charge. That tells you you're really not in charge. But the greatest form of leadership is servant leadership by leading by example. See, I can relate, you can relate to friends that will abandon you. See, I've been in moments in my life where I thought that this group of people will be with me forever. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I have long-term relationships. And, and I have friends in North Florida. I have family here in South Florida. You know, we've been together for 17 years through the ups and the downs, the goods and the bad, everything in between. But you know what? Sometimes I thought that the, in my head I thought, man, they will never leave me. They were the first to go. And I would meet somebody, and I know you don't do this, but I do. Uh, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, man, they ain't going to last 15 minutes. They're still here. See, all of us have been in that moment where we've been hurt by somebody that we really love. And that even moves us further because, you know, it is in those moments he goes from this little room with a dinner with friends and he's talking about bread and wine and it being his broken body and his blood to be spilt. And then he goes up to the Garden of Gethsemane up on a mountain. It, it, you have to go from Jerusalem through a valley up on the mountain. You can literally see it. It's like from here to First Street. It's about that, about, about that far. Maybe a little bit further. Maybe to, to Royal Palm Tower. No more than that. That's about the distance. And in that garden, is a, it's a garden of olive trees. It means the press. And there's 2,000-year-old olive trees, and I've got the, the blessing of seeing them in that garden. And he takes three of his closest friends and says, You know what? Will you come with me a little bit further? You guys stay there. There's only eight of them left. You guys stay there. You three come with me. I'm really in a mess, guys. Will you please pray for me? You're my closest of friends. You're my, they're, everybody's my friends, but you're my best friends. They go to sleep. This dude's praying with such passion, his sweat's becoming blood. And he's praying a specific prayer. Father, you know, if there is a plan B, if there's another way, if there's anything that we and you could talk about and do to keep going all the way to the cross, let's do plan B. But if there's no other way, if this is the plan, and there's no other way, not my will, but your will be done. You say, well, pastor, he didn't pray that. Yeah, he did. He didn't pray it just once, but he prayed it three times. If there be any other way. See, we can even relate to this. You ever had to do something you didn't want to do? You hated doing it, but you knew you had to? Again, let's do this because we want to celebrate, you know, some family stuff here as well. You know, how many of you are parents again? Say amen. amen. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I've had moments where I've had to hold my kids down for important stuff like stitches, shots. Nobody signs up for that. But I knew they needed it. And so I was willing to do something so difficult because it was done out of love even though it looked on the surface like, it, like I, was, I was participating in the pain. But I knew the pain had a purpose and it had the greater good so I had to hold them down so somebody could sew them up. 
I get a lot of my theology out of some movies. <laughs> and I think some of the greatest theology is spoken in movies. Because sometimes you have to understand one of the greatest lines in the first Batman movie is that at, towards the end where he's having to, to take the blame. And he says this, if you're willing to be the villain long enough, you'll be the good guy again. That's truth. See, sometimes we as parents and sometimes we as leaders, sometimes we have to do something that, that we become the villain. I, did, did it ever happen to you when your kids thought you were out of your mind and you didn't understand today's lingo and all of that stuff and you just told them no? And they said, well, why? Everybody else is doing it. And after you got re through rehearsing what your parents had told you, if everybody jumps off a bridge, would you? <laughs> now my kids are parents and they're going to say that to their kids one day. But it's that moment. See, we can relate to having to do something that we didn't want to do. But then he goes from there. Finally, he gets arrested and everybody runs. And, and he's there alone and, and, and he's still... You know, I think the father, you know, I've got a, a weird imagination. I think the father kind of gave him one, a mulligan, you know, uh, you know, sometimes just that extra little umph. Is they come into the garden, they're rushing in there like a patrol of, of soldiers. They've got swords drawn, they've got torches ready. And he, he's like, whom seek ye? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He just says the word, I am, and they all fall down. Because it's the same voice that said, I am that I am, back to Moses to set a group of slaves free 400 years before. I think the father just gave him that one. Just said, yeah, just want you to know. I mean, what do you do with your sword after the dude just speaks and you fall down? I mean, you put that thing up and hope nothing bad happens. That's what you do. And he, he, he even kind of cracks a joke. He said, man, I've been with you every day. Why are you coming in the middle of the night to arrest me like a thief? But he goes from there into a mock trial where he's lied upon, falsely accused. Can you relate? Anybody ever told something untrue about you? You know how much it hurts? And the crazy part is, is he's standing there listening to the very people lie about him that watched him heal their family and friends. That makes my flesh want to jump up. Because I'm like, God, thank you that I, I didn't have that task because I would called lightning down on everybody right then. But he humbly just stood there. He's taken from there and beaten. See... The video that Gina sung to, that's about as close as you can get to accurate with still being able to show it in public because that's really not accurate. See, what they did was they humiliated him by stripping him of all of his clothing and he walked the Via Della Rosa nude, beaten beyond recognition. See, have you ever been... See, that we can even relate to this. He's bleeding. You know, most of us have suffered an injury. But more importantly, what was going on during all of this, the mocking, the pulling out of the beard, the spitting upon, all of that, he was being humiliated 
embarrassed. Now, maybe everybody in here has never been humiliated, but I can guarantee everybody here has been embarrassed at least one time. Amen? I can relate to being humiliated. Yeah. I was a keynote speaker one time at a place. I forgot. I didn't show up. I mean, I was the guy that was supposed to bring it all together. I didn't even go. They called me the next day and said, you know, you missed it. Humiliated. You say, well, what's that mean for a pastor? Give me a story I can relate to. You ever had that dream where you wake up in a big crowd of people and you don't have any clothes on? That's it. <laughs> Humiliated. See, I can relate to there. And then he's taken from there and he's brutally executed. He's executed by the means of crucifixion, which means he is tortured, humiliated, and exposed. Up until this point, we can relate all the way to here. Because everything up to here has been associated with Jesus being 100% man. And we can relate to all of that stuff with being 100% man. But what happens next is all God. We cannot relate to that. See... The thing, you can play something for me, Amy. See, the thing is about crucifixion, you can't die from nails in your hands and in your feet. You can't, you can't die that way. There's no vital organs in your hands. There's a lot of nerves, but nothing you need to live. You die from crucifixion through asphyxiation. You suffocate. Because what happens is they, they take this, this cross that they've just nailed you to, and they drop it in about a three and a half foot hole. And the impact of the drop separates your shoulders. And so now the only way that you can breathe is to stand on the nail they put in your feet and raise yourself up so you can breathe. It lasted six hours. Until his muscles gave way. But what happened on that cross that we cannot relate to is when the first drop of His blood hit the ground. You say, Pastor, no, 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 no. That's something we can relate to. I've been cut before. Yeah, but your blood wasn't the same as His blood. See, we had inherited a sinful nature from our father Adam, which caused us to be born a sinner in need of a Savior that from up until this point, the only salvation could be brought through atonement that once a year your sins could be covered. They never could be abolished. They could only be covered and appease the sight of an almighty God, God the Father. But at this moment, see, that's why Jesus didn't have an earthly father. His blood was different. It was perfect blood. It was without sin. He was, he was born with the holiness and righteousness of God the Father, inherited, coursing through His veins, is God's perfect blood. And the Bible tells us that He was tempted in all manners and fashions in which we were, and yet He persevered by being perfect and true even in the midst of temptation by the devil himself. And yet when that blood was was spilled. It paid for everything that we would ever do. See, we can't relate to being perfect because you know how many times you failed this morning. I failed before I preached. You saw it. 
joy of our soul is in the fact that if I had to depend upon my salvation being through my behavior, I would be a nervous wreck that the rapture would take place at a moment where I was at my worst. And I would live in fear and try to wrap myself in in bubble wrap and stay in a dark room and not try anything. But He didn't give me the bondage of religion. He gave me the power of salvation through His perfection. And I don't have the anxiousness of being perfect because He was made perfect for me. And He maintained what I could not do and paid a price I could not pay so I might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we are not Christians and we are, uh, uh, because we are perfect. We are Christians because He was perfect for us and now we have the opportunity to live under the banner of that hope and that freedom. Folks, He did not come to give you a book of rules. This is not a book of rules. This is a love letter between you and God and all mankind that He said, I've sent my very begotten Son that He would shed His perfect blood, that you could go out and fall short of my glory and yet still be adopted into the family of an almighty God where eternity awaits you, but you don't have to wait to die to go to heaven. You can live here on earth as life and have life more abundantly right now. Why? Because He is the perfect sacrifice. I no longer need the blood of a lamb, a goat, a dove, but now I have the preciousness of the blood of Jesus. And that blood can set you free. That blood can break bondages.